Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go ahead and stand with me. That'll help us get out of the Thanksgiving nap mode, won't it? Anybody, do I have any good nappers in the house? Oh, come on, be honest. I wasn't a napper till recently. I used to think nappers, and forgive me for this, were for old people and golfers. And turns out I'm turning into an older people every day, so I like them naps. Now, thank you so much for being here. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your grace, your mercy, your goodness. Holy Spirit, we pray that you illuminate our hearts with your word. We know that when you're in the house, we can be encouraged, we can be inspired, and our lives can change. And that's what we seek today. So let our hearts be open to what you have to say. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, everyone says, amen, amen. Go ahead and wave at your neighbor. Welcome them to the place one more time. Thank you so much. We love to stand and pray as a congregation. Well, we're on our third installment of At the Table. This will be our last one. Our desire has been simple that we understand that when we come to the Lord's table, that he has something there for us. Can I get an amen? Yeah, and he wants to give it to us. Now, we need to receive it. And the last couple weeks, we've been talking about several things. The first week, we talked about the things that we could experience when we get to the table and as understanding that everybody has needs and everybody's welcome to the table and things of that nature. Pastor Mike did a great job of helping us understand last week that there's restoration and reconciliation, all kinds of wonderful things that Christ wants to give us at the table. Come and dine, the master called. Okay? Yes, I'm bringing back memories. I love it. I love it. And then this week, what we're going to speak about is simply this. How many of us know that we have to meet people halfway, don't we? Yeah, if we want something to be accomplished, we have to do something, they have to do something. It's the same way in the kingdom of God. As God does things in our life, we need to meet him halfway. So what is it that we could bring to the table? What is it that we could bring to the table so we can get the most out of the experience that we have with Jesus Christ? Now, we understand the, t- the table we've been sitting around, many of them, no doubt, and we know that it's transformed through the years and looks different, you know? Uh, we at one point maybe sat in a table and everybody had plates and cups and silverware. Now sometimes it's TV trays and star fun plates, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and taking out the dishes is as you're walking by, your spouse looks at you and says, hey, since you're going that way anyways, would you throw this away? Yeah, it happens to other people too. So, but the table looks different, but nonetheless, we're there to gain and to grow and to, to do the things we know physically, but also spiritually. And here, as we come to the table of the Lord today in our sanctuary, some of you have come together in Sunday school classes. We know on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights and so many different places. We know that when we come in there, there's things that we can bring, that we can meet God halfway. That way, he can continue to pour in our life. Can I get an amen? And in Scripture, in John chapter 12, we're going to read here briefly. We're going to read the first eight verses there, and it gives us a glimpse. We're going to be at Lazarus' house for a moment. Now, moments are important. Moments can change the trajectory of people's lives. Moments can change the trajectory of nations and and, and the world as we know it. I was looking back through history at some moments in, in 1943, the, the discovery of how to, create, or how, to, how to do the mass production of penicillin began. Could you imagine being in that moment and knowing all the things that could be cured by penicillin, all the people that didn't have to die, and they were able to mass produce it? Could you imagine being the scientist or being the medical professional in that moment and seeing this happen and thinking to yourself, man, this is going to change the world. But it just happens in a moment. It's a moment. And as we look into Lazarus' house, that's what we catch is a, is a glimpse, a moment. 
Remember, not, some of you guys will remember this. Some of us has only read about it. 1969, the moon landing. One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. You guys remember this? Yeah. And how much did it drastically change things that we never thought we could accomplish all of a sudden? Didn't seem so far away, did it? But it's in that moment. It came on TV and all these different things. In 1989, the World Wide Web began. Praise Jesus. And then at the same time, we're like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> You're right? But in that moment, could you imagine being in the office as the creator is in there and he strokes the final key on the keyboard and he says, it's done. Then you think to yourself, man, this is going to revolutionize the world. One of my favorite ones is the one in 1978. China is thinking this thing called the open door policy. And what they're thinking is we're going to allow economic development come in, so we're going to build manufacturing places and we're going to begin to trade with the world. How much has that affected our lives? My dad bought a drill press yesterday, and he was, I was helping him assemble it, and he got it from Missouri, and he brought it down, and it was, it's a big drill press with multi-things on it. It's more complicated than I can tell you. And I read on the side of the deal, you know what it said? Made in... China. And I said, wow, this thing's made in China. He goes, Matt, isn't everything? <laughs> How much has our lives changed because of that, right? We almost can't pick up a sticker, but it was that moment in time, and just imagine hearing that, that speaker say that, hearing that government official say that, and we see that it was just one moment in time, but it had implications that continue ways throughout the world. We remember this, 2007, the first iPhone that came out. It wasn't the first smartphone. That came early in the 90s, kind of late 80s. But it, 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 could you imagine being Steve Jobs and the design crew in there and thinking to yourself, man, this is going to revolutionize the world. And it did. But it was in that moment that we peer through the window and we see that the landscape has changed. It had been transformed. You, many of us remember, I remember 9-11, I was a senior in high school. And I walked into the office that morning, and the first thing that came to my mind is, I wonder if they're going to open the draft. For many of you, you wondered, how is this going to affect my finances? How is this going to affect my family? How is this going to affect our nation? What will our president do? And we know from that incident, which we saw a nation rise, amen, but we know that travel is never, ever going to be the same again. But it was that moment in time as we peered through our TV screens and saw what was going on. Of course, we know in February 2022, we saw Russia invade Ukraine. We're stamped forever from that, and we realized what a dictator, what a tyrant can do just because he can. And we see these moments, so as we read and we look through the window, if you will, with me this morning, what I want to do is kind of get up on the front porch of Lazarus' house and peer in the window as Christ is eating dinner in there, as Lazarus and Martha and Mary, uh, it's Lazarus' sisters, are eating in there, and we see Judas, and we see maybe uh, some other disciples. You can't forget the Pharisees and the scribes everywhere Jesus are. They're there to kind of cause up trouble somewhere. So as we peer through the window this morning, we say this is a moment in time that I want to grasp. And what we're going to simply talk about is two things. What keeps us from gaining everything that we can in that moment as we sit and dine with our Lord and Savior? Then what are some things that we can do that we sure up that we know that whenever we sit down, we're ready for what Christ has prepared for us? Can I get an amen? So go ahead and open up your Bibles. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. 
Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of, of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, him as in Jesus, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to whatever he put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you'll always have with you, but you do not always have me. So we peer through the window of Lazarus' house and we see all this amazing stuff going on. And if you can imagine the setup here, so Lazarus had been dead four days. I love the King James Version when it talks about Lazarus just a couple chapters before this because you know what it says about him? It says that he stinketh. You got some people in your life that you want to talk King James to, don't you? They stinketh. <laughs> He's been dead four days. But Jesus raises him back to life. Now you have Martha and Mary there, the sisters of Lazarus, and they greet Jesus in the chapter before as he's walking up on all this. And they say, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And they both said the same thing. Of course, we know that Lazarus raises from the dead, so that gives you a picture of who's at the table. And then you have Judas. And the, who's the only person that Judas is concerned about? Judas, yeah, yeah. Don't you love this talk back thing? This is great, yes. The only person he was concerned about is Judas. And then you have our Lord and Savior, which is at the table reclining. That's how Mary was able to walk in the door and break the perfume or, or put the perfume on his feet as she wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. And of course, you're going to have the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes. But also, we learn that from the story that there are many people that know that Christ is in town. They've heard about Lazarus. Matter of fact, so many people's heard about Lazarus that the Pharisees and scribes are upset and they want to kill him and take him out. So you see this moment where all these people are pushing in and you see the popularity of Jesus and you see all these things happening, but there's this moment in time and in the midst of a moment that it's like time stands still because perfect worship is given. And we're going to talk about that this morning. What caused Judas to miss the boat? What causes us at times to miss the boat? So in the story, we see Judas. Now, Judas Iscariot, we know, is the one that winds up betraying Christ for 30 pieces of silver. And then after Christ is, um, is arrested, he goes and hangs himself. And we know all that in a horrible death. But he's sitting at a table right now and he gets to experience a woman that is so moved and so overjoyed with Christ in her life and so thankful. Pastor put it so well in our prayer today that we're thankful, we're thankful for the many blessings that we have and she's so overrun with gratitude that she performs just an act of worship in the midst of what's going on. But then we see Judas and let's reread kind of, kind of what he says. John chapter 12, verse 5 and 6. Why was the ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having 
charge of the money bag he used to help himself to what was put into it. Judas is missing the moment because of distraction. Now, in his case, it's the things of the world that grasp at his attention. It's money. It's what he can buy with money. Many times we come into our Sunday school classes, we come into our small groups, we come into the church, whatever it is, into your quiet time. And if you're not careful, those distractions can creep in, can't they? How many of you guys are willing to be honest with me? And I'm in this boat. You sit down for your quiet time, you've read four or five scriptures, maybe a whole chapter, and then you think to yourself, what in the world did I just read? Your mind's rabbit trailing everywhere. You go in and you're worshiping and you're praising Jesus and you're loving God and all these things that we know to do. And then the song is off or whatever and you're thinking, what in the world did I just get through saying? And you weren't talking in tongues. It was just you forgot what you were saying. Because distraction will creep in. Distraction has a way that the world pulls at us from these multiple directions. And maybe yours is not money. Maybe it's something else. But for Judas, we see that it was money. There was something that lured him, that constantly grabbed for him. And distraction will do that because distraction will lead to selfishness. Did you catch this in here? He goes, why don't we go give it to the poor? or sell it so we can give the money to the poor. What he was doing is using what was meant to glorify God for his own purposes. He was gonna take what was meant to be glorified, for, for, uh, glorified what was meant to, for, <laughs> I used to get nervous, now you guys are my friends, so it's okay. <laughs> what was meant to glorify Christ, he wanted to use for his own advancement. Selfishness to the point that he was planted out. If we do this now, when nobody's looking, I'm gonna stick my hand in the bag. That's premeditated. That's how selfish he was, but he was so distracted at the things of the world that had blinded him. And distraction will make us selfish, and we live in a culture, it is so easily get distracted. See, this is the one thing about the carnal man, about the man in our lives that's not spiritual, about the one that we constantly have to bring to the cross, the spiritual cross, and crucify, deny ourselves every day. That man, that woman, however you want to put it, that human inside of us constantly wants to be entertained. So it'll go from one thing to the next to the next. And for Judas in this, his distraction happened to be money. That's the reason why we fight those distractions when we go in there and say, God, maybe it's fear. Maybe you're going through a season where things are just really rocky and there's, it's very difficult and you're like, what is going on? You can't let fear be the distraction. You can't let those things push on you. You have to say, God, you are my focus. I'm in here, I'm gleaning from your word and I wanna understand what it's saying because distraction will lead to selfishness because what we concentrate on is what we worship. It really is. What takes our concentration, what takes our fo focus, we don't realize it, but we really begin to worship. Distraction, and, and then sometimes it's just difficult. Thomas Edison said this, opportunity is missed by most people because it is dressed in overalls and looks like work. Very true. Distraction, effort, work, we miss that opportunity. And whenever you sit at the table of the Lord, it's gonna take all of that. It's gonna take focus, grinding it out, allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you, changing some stuff in our lives. But whenever we do that, what we'll find is that God will really speak to us and amazing things will happen, it really will. Now, at every table, we always have manners. How many of you guys grew up and your parents made you have some manners at the table? 
you snatch a piece of chicken, they slap your hand. Stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like we, we're going to pray first. At our house, like I said, the table doesn't always look the same, but one of the things we always do is pray. Okay, we, we get together in the living room or in the kitchen. We get together in our little huddle because we're just so thankful of what we have. And we always try to pray. Sometimes Callie will pray. Sometimes I'll pray. Sometimes Mary will pray. But there's certain things that you do. I was doing a little bit of research, and if you're sitting at a king or queen's table, there's some things that you have to be willing to do. So there's really no particular way that you have to or excuse me, there's no, there's, there, you can hold your fork in your left hand or your right hand. You can hold your knife in your left hand or right hand, but it's all about how you hold it properly is what means the most. You have to take your index finger and your thumb and you have to hold it right before where the fork bends. And you know how I know that? Because I researched it this morning. I don't do that. Man, I'm a carnivore. I stabbed a piece of meat and start gnawing on it. You know what I mean? But if you're sitting at a king's, if in a formal deal, you, you can't do that. You're out in the bushes, it doesn't matter, does it? Just do it. They take the napkin and they fold it and they put the crease to the outside. Why? I have no idea, but that's what you're supposed to do. After you get done with the napkin, you pile it up neatly on the left side of your plate. Your utensils that you just used set in the plate. The handles of those utensils turn to 630 while the prongs of the fork and the tip of the knife face in the opposite direction. And that's how they know you're done. Does anybody do that? <laughs> But nonetheless, there's these expectations when you have to go. And I get a chuckle out of that and a laugh, and so do you. But listen, whenever we go to the king's table, there are certain expectations that we should have. There's things that we should do. I, I hesitate to say rules and regulations because Christ is not all about that, but what he is about us pursuing him wholeheartedly and falling in love with him. And why we do what we do is not out of necessity. It's not because we have to. It's because we're passionate about our Savior. Amen. So it's expectations when we come to the table. And here, that's what we see in Mary from Bethany. We see some expectations, man. She was hosting Christ. There were some things that she was going to do differently. And we see that. Now, the first thing that I see here, and it'll run together, is you have to have a hunger for Christ. Whenever we're seating at the, seated at the table of Christ, you have to be hungry for what he serves. Growing up in my household, y'all are getting some stories the other group didn't because my mom and dad's in that first service, so I feel kind of weird telling on them. But y'all, so y'all are getting some stories. Stir fry. Who many people love stir fry? Not me. I've never been to Mongolian barbecue. Don't care if I ever go. In my house, my mom and dad started fixing stir fry for some reason I was 13 or 14 years old. I did not like that stuff. But you better believe when that stuff wound up on my plate, guess what I ate? I was, I was literally, I was in my 20s, and my mom finally looked at me. She goes, I didn't know you liked stir-fry, or didn't like stir-fry. I said, I didn't know I had a choice not to like what was in my plate. <laughs> you know, is there, was, there, was that a thing? I could have raised my hand and been like, hey, I don't want this. I'm going to say no, okay? That's not an option in our house. And same thing with many of you guys' house. It's the same thing. And whenever we sit at the Lord's table, we realize that it's what he wants to serve us. That's true worship. Because I'm hunger, I'm, I hunger and thirst for Christ. John chapter 12, verse 2. So they gave a dinner for him there. All three of them said, listen, you're going to come to our house. We're going to give you a dinner because we're hungry for you. We want to be in your presence. We want to know you more. We want to honor you. We want to love you. We want to care about you. Jesus, you are who you say you are. You're welcomed at our house. Oh, how much different our country would be if more homes welcomed the name of Jesus Christ into their homes. Thank you for doing that because you're making a difference. 
There's no telling. If you want to know the truth, there's no telling how many people in your school, in your neighborhood, the friends that you go to work with, how much hell you've saved them from because you believe in the name of Jesus Christ. So Mary and Martha and Lazarus are, are, are gathered together and you see this hunger that you see. Now this is very important. It's not starving. In, in the Beatitudes, Christ says this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And a little word search would help us understand that that hunger doesn't mean starve. King David puts it like this, that as a deer panteth for the water, so my, long, long, so, so my soul longeth after thee. It's that thing that draws us out, and we talked a little bit, that that compels us. And and this word hunger is really a craving, an understanding that there's nothing else that's going to fill this void but Christ. And here we see a true hunger for Christ. We're going to kick open our doors. We want you to be here, and we're going to serve you, and we're going to love you, and we're going to worship you while you're here. And whatever you serve is what we're eating tonight in the spiritual sense. But there's this true hunger that we see, this true craving that we see. That's the reason why we're proud of our services. We're proud of having Sunday school. We're proud of having an 8.30 and a 10.45. We're proud of Wednesday nights where we have different classrooms all over the campuses and for youth and for kids. We're proud of our Sunday night that we have at 6 p.m. Because we understand that our volunteers, and thank you so much for all the different areas that you're volunteering in, we want you to sit at the table of God and, and eat as well. Now, this is the difficulty, and we understand that, that as you volunteer, we know that that takes up time. But remember, we don't eat just because it's convenient. We eat because it's important. So we have multiple different occasions. We can pull ourselves up to the table of God, and we can eat, and we can do, and we can hear what Christ has to say. And here they made time, and they said, listen, you're the most important. Now, it was very important to eat what was in front of me at my house. How many of you guys love turnips? Three, same, yes. Uh, you guys are awesome, man. You're like the elite eaters of the world, okay? I just want to tell you. So my mom and dad had this huge box of turnips that was given to them, you know? And, and they had this, I remember seeing the turnips sitting by the door in this box, and a guy picked them out of his garden, and we were going to eat turnips. Now, what my mom did is disguise them. She took these turnips and cut them really thin and put cheese on them, and they looked like all rotten potatoes, I'm a potato guy. Give me bread, meat, and potatoes. That's my three food groups. Outside of that, I'm good. Maybe some sugar on the side. (laughs) But she dolled them all up, and I remember sitting down at the table, and I just began to pile that on my plate, and I had a big pile. I thought, man, this is going to be awesome. And then I took a bite of it and tasted like a turnip. (laughs) It was disgusting. Doesn't matter how much cheese you put on turnips, they're still not any good. But the rule was simple. Whatever you put on your plate, you eat. So I'm gnawing on turnips, man, for a while until I ate those dudes. But I got them eat. I, I'm 39, I still remember. I was, like, it, I was like, like 12 or 10 or 8, and I remember that. I'm scarred for life, mom, scarred. So now I sit down at the table like, what is that? Are you sure that's what it is? Because I've been, you know, I've been here before. You sure? But this is the thing. When you sit at the table of Christ, you're going to eat some things you don't want to eat. And you're not always going to know how to interpret it. You're not always going to know what it is. But if Christ said it before you, eat it anyways. It's difficult to eat a serving of pride, isn't it? To push down our pride. It's difficult to eat that serving where we know we need to go say sorry 
as we know and we all say, eat some of that humble pie. But if Christ puts it in front of us, we eat it. Because humility comes in so many different forms. Sometimes it can be a gift. Maybe you are one of those people that really have a hard time receiving gifts and somebody's trying to give you a gift to bless you. Listen, we don't want to push that stuff away. God said it there. We say, okay, God, we're going to eat it because we're hungry for what you serve. We're hungry for what you serve. Now, hunger, this is important because hunger always leads to worship. The hunger for the Lord in this passage, we see something very, very amazing in Mary. She hungers for the Lord. She saw him as the Messiah. We saw, she saw him raise Lazarus. I mean, she's in gratitude. She's grateful. She's in love with her Savior. She's hungry to, to know more about what he teaches and who he is. And then we see that transform, transform into worship. Because what we hunger for, we worship. True spiritual hunger leads to our life of worship. And listen to me. What we worship, we become. It's very important. What we worship, we become. I believe that's the reason why Peter writes, cast all of your cares upon him because he cares for you. Because if we don't perpetually do that, we begin to focus on all of our cares and worries and what we focus on and what we worship, we become like. So we, we put it on God and we, we put it there. Now John chapter 12, verse three. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, not with the towel, with her hair. And so many times we've quoted this, the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now I understand that it, it, it represents the anointing of Christ that she anointed him with, anointed his feet with the nard, and, and, and I realize that. Now, nard is a very special ointment. I believe it's found in Nepal. It's found in India and parts of China. And this was pure nard, and I had this thought. Pure nard for a pure Savior from a heart filled with gratitude. Whenever you bring your gift before God, and it's the best, and you say, I'll lay it down at the feet of my Savior, and you do it with a heart of gratitude, oh, you're in a place that God is about to open up the windows of heaven on your life. But here we see this, and this nard was put on his feet, and she, she wiped his feet with her hair. And it shows this extreme humility, this strong form of worship, to the point that it filled the house. And, and I understand that the anointing uh, re represented, you know, uh, the anointing oil, and as it filled the house, and that would have represented to a degree the, the approval of God that this is his son, and we see all that. But I also wonder about this, because the Bible is such an amazing thing, and Pastor Mike and I talk about this all the time, and I know if you're in mentoring class, you've heard this. If you're not in mentoring class, you need to get mentoring class. But, but, the Bible is like a diamond and you take the lime diamond and you, you pick it up and the light shines on it and you see it one way and see it sparkle so beautiful and then you twist it just a little bit and all, the begin, all of a sudden you begin to see other sparkles and you begin to see other reflections and it's beautiful. And, and I wonder this, I wonder is as the perfume filled the house and, 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 and it, it ins inspired and encouraged so many people that were there to the point that John, who is writing this passage, has to include it in the story. It's like, listen, what she broke on the feet of Christ, it wasn't something ordinary. It was something ex extraordinary. Man, it filled the entire house. And I wonder if whenever she did that, that was not a true reflection of the worship that was in her heart. 
that her heart was full of worship. And the worship that she presented to her Savior was a sweet, sweet fragrance to him. See, whenever we come to the table of the Lord and we're there to worship, we're there to focus on him, we're there to say, listen, this is me in my purest form. I know that I'm not worthy to be at your table. I know that I'm not worthy of the goodness of, of you, but I do know that you've made room for me in a place, so here I am to worship. As the song says, here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. And whenever we do that and the fragrance fills the room and it becomes a sweet fragrance unto our Savior, that's what we want to equip ourselves with. And we say, God, we're at your table. Because fragrances are an indicator of what's happening. They really are. How many of you guys love the smell of fresh cut grass? I love it. And you see the lines and you're like, yes, I did that. For some of you, it's paint on the walls. You paint the walls and you walk into a room and you're like... You smell that success. I just painted the whole room. But not every fragrance is great. So at the Chambers house, we just got a new puppy, and his name's Murphy. Yes, and that is Mary's dog, not my dog. I tell her that all the time. It still doesn't keep me from having to get up at 4.30 and take care of her dog. <laughs> Murphy's a Yorkie, about eight pounds. Murphy is still a puppy, so he's learning to be potty trained. So we crayed him at night, and the other morning I woke up at 2.30 in the morning, not to yelping, not to a noise, but to a fragrance. <laughs> yeah, some of you guys are like, I did it too, I don't know what you're talking about. That filled my whole bedroom. And I'm trying to be holy, you know, as I got the dog in one arm and the cage in the other, it's like 13 degrees, I'm out there spraying the, you know, the cage down because he's messed all over the place. You know, Paul talks about a dog, and whenever we turn back to sin, it's like a dog returns to his vomit. And I wonder in my life, whenever I return to sin, whenever I return to those things that I know I'm not God, what fragrance does it send to him? Because true fragrance is the fragrance that he desires that will permeate a house and fill, and it's a sweet fragrance unto him. And whenever I come up to the table, one of the things I want to equip myself is say, God, I want this to be true worship. So when I come into the house of the Lord, whenever I come into the Sunday school class where I'm at, God, please, I want my heart to be in a place that I know that this is true to you. Because it's very important for us to understand that, right? That we get that hunger leads to worship. We got to have a hunger, and then we have worship, and this is where it leads to, ultimately, we see that it leads to devotion. John chapter 12, verse 3, the last part, it says, and, in, in, and she anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Whenever people would come into the homes during the biblical days, they would many times have a basin of water and maybe some ointment like this. Because of the long day, they would smell better. And of course, they wore sandals on dirty road, roads so they would clean their feet. And the act of anointing somebody's head was an act of honor. The fact that Mary of Bethany took the nard and put it on his feet and then took her hair and washed his feet was a sign of true devotion. We see the same thing in our Lord and Savior when he's with his 12 disciples and takes the towel and ties it around his waist and, bend down, and bends down and be, proceeds to wash all the disciples' feet. And Peter wants to push back and he says, oh, no, no, no. If you're with me, this has to happen. Whenever we move up to the table of Christ, 
If we're with him, devotion has to be a part of our life. And we see this pure act of worship that turns in devotion. No, no doubt she takes one of the most expensive things that she has. And she brings it before our Savior and says, Here, this is my devotion to you. We devote ourselves to God because hunger leads to worship. Worship leads to devotion. And as I was processing this, I thought about this. God, as I'm at the table I see in this story some things that I may need in my life, and maybe you do too. Earlier in the story, Mary and Martha come up to Christ as we spoke and said, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And it represents the loss that they had felt from their brother dying. No doubt he had something to do with their finances because of the culture of the time and things like that, but also the love that they had for their brother. It's hard losing people. Maybe you're in that situation this morning And I want to invite you as you come to the Lord, as you come to the Lord's table, and you say, God, I want to be hungry for you, and I want to worship you, and I I give you my devotion, then realize some of those spots that you've lost in your life, maybe some of those people that you've lost, God can feel that and restore that. Because he knows what it's like. Martha and Mary knew what it was like to lose somebody they dearly loved. Maybe you're in that situation where you're like, man, I just don't know if I have the faith and the hope to believe that. Well, know that God can move and restore that. Then we see Lazarus. Lazarus resurrected from the dead by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this question. As you come to the table of the Lord this morning, do you have a dream that's dead that may need to be resurrected? God can do that. Do you have a relationship that you just feel like there is no way unless you move? God can help you with that. There's things in our life that we look at and we say, God, I don't know if I can ever go back. I don't know if I'll ever see that joy or feel that joy. I don't know if that's even something that I can encounter. God, at one point I was with you and I was feeling your spirit move and great things were happening and now I've kind of trailed off and gone a different direction. God, I don't know if I can ever go back to where I was. I've got good news for you because God doesn't just want us to go back to where we were, but he wants to take us further because he can resurrect those dead things in our life but you have to come to the table of the Lord. You have to be hungry. You have to be humble in worship. And then you have to say, God, what are you requiring of me? Because devotion is always action, isn't it? They knew Mary's devotion because of her action. So don't be afraid. God's calling you to something. He's got something greater. He's calling you to sacrifice something. What he's gonna, be, what he's gonna replace it with will be greater. But as we come to the table of the Lord this morning, we say, God, here it is. But I come humble. I come ready to worship. I come ready for devotion. Don't let go of your dream. Don't let go of that relationship. Expect God to move in it, and he will. Because he can. He's the only one that can change hearts and minds and relationships, right? He's the one that opens the doors. He's the one that saves. But God, I've got to let you move. And I'm at your table to watch you move. Would you bow with me? Father, our hearts are bowed to you and we thank you for this moment that we have at your table. As we gather together in your sanctuary, as we gather together in our living rooms or our offices or maybe we're driving down the road and we're listening, whatever it is, it's a moment that we have with you and we don't want it to pass us by because we know that moments can change trajectories of lives. 
It can change minds. It can encourage and inspire and build up. And we're victorious in you. So, Father, as our hearts are bowed in this moment, I pray for anybody who's under the sound of my voice that if they're not in a place where they need to be with you, if they haven't submitted their lives and and walked in salvation, maybe they have some kind of sin that's clinging to their lives that they know they need to get rid of, that this morning would be the morning that they repent. And as they pull up to your table, they just drop it before you. And that form of worship where we deny ourselves and say, Christ, I want to chase after you. So, Father, we we pause just a moment in efforts that we bring that to you. And for the ones who have thought about salvation, that today they would stop being on the fence and they'd realize that everything that you have for them is better than what they could ever experience in the world. And Father, that you love them as they are, where they are. But you do want to pull us out of the muck and the mire into a greater life. But it all starts by saying, I'm at the table of the Lord, and I'm hungry for what you serve, which is salvation. For my brothers and sisters that are in the building today, God, that are listening today, That, Father, if there is a dream that needs to be resurrected, if there is a relationship that needs to be resurrected, Father, if there is a love that's lost, a hope that's lost, a a faith that has declined, Father, you are in that business. (laughs) And through Christ, we know that we can find what our heart longs for. That true craving that we've had. And then, Father, we would be willing to lay that down in that form of worship. Say, God, what you want is what we want. Would you stand with me all across the building? This is what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to ask my altar workers to slip out, and they're just going to line up the front. So if you would come on up to the front, I want to give you a couple minutes. And as they slip out, If you need special prayer, I'm going to invite you to come on up and grab them by the hand. But here in a second, what I want to do is we're going to all come down and we're just going to dismiss at the table as a family. But I do want to give you an opportunity. Maybe you need, there's just some things that I just need prayer for. There's some healing. There's some love lost. There's a dream that I had, Matt, and I just want to know that God can resurrect that thing and he's got greater for me. Now, what I'm going to ask everybody to do is if you feel comfortable, would you slip out of your seats and come on down? Let's dismiss as a family. And as you walk on down, if you need special prayer, come up here and link up with one of our prayer workers. We don't want anybody to be alone. And we always know that sometimes you just need somebody, don't you? So as you come down, just if you need special prayer, just grab a hand and say, this is where I'm at right now. Would you guys kind of continue to press on, press on in here a little bit? And if you're by somebody who's gone up to somebody for special prayer, you might just put your hand on their shoulder. We don't want them to be alone. We're standing with them. 
awesome. Our desire is that you do not miss any opportunity at the table of our master. Because all the blessings that he has, the things that he has, is things that we need. So this is what I'm going to ask. If you feel comfortable, go ahead and grab the neighbor, the, the, uh, your, uh, your neighbor's hand. We're much to be thankful, right? As you look around and you see friends, we really might be some of the richest people on earth, amen? Really. Let's pray together. Father, our hearts are bowed. Thank you for what you're doing in the hearts and the minds of people at the altar, Father. The ones who have come down who need special prayer. You're meeting them where they're at, God. They're getting healing, God. You're encouraging them. You're lifting them up. And we pray, God, that your Holy Spirit be closer to them than they've ever felt, God. We stand with them as brothers and sisters and say, God, what their need is, please meet it, God. Please move in a way that only you can move. We know that you're the great physician. We know, God, that you can move in areas. You can pick up spirits. You can strengthen the weak, God. And Father, as we grab hands with the person to our left and to the person to our right, we're believing for great things in their life. Father, if they have any dreams that need to be resurrected, if they need faith that needs to be built, God, if they need relationships, God, that needs to be reconstructed, Father, that your grace and mercy would flow, God. If they need a touch in their body, Holy Spirit, that you would move over them. Father, as we're at the altar, it's in that name that's above all names, Jesus Christ, that we know that you hear us. Father, thank you for moving on our behalf. Thank you for giving us direction and wisdom and guidance. Thank you for salvation. Thank you, Father, that as we slip our chair under your table, we stand in excitement knowing that all, if we bring that worship, if we bring that hunger, God, that you will move. You will move on our behalf. Thank you for restoration. Thank you for provision. Thank you for the grace and thank you for the love. Thank you that at the table there's solidarity because we all have something that we may need for you to move in our life. And we all have great things to be grateful for. So Father, as our people, as we go out and where your people go out into our jobs and our community, God, and, and our schools, God, all these different things that are represented, God, let us continue to be the light because we have hope. We sit at the master's table and the master loves us. You have called us your children. So we have hope. We have hope that you're gonna move on our behalf. We have hope for our neighbor, hope for our loved one, hope, God. Thank you for building your people this morning. And as our hearts are bowed, let us go back out and spread that hope. Let us be a light unto a fallen world because we know we have you. Father, let your face shine upon these wonderful people. Let them feel your grace, your mercy. Father, let us remember that we're a king's kid and we're at your table. We love you and we praise you and we thank you for your grace and mercy and goodness. And if you believe that, can you say amen? We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, 
Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.